from Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, I don't know if it's just because we sang a lot of songs, but I'm very out of breath now. So thank you, worship team. Um, I I needed that, honestly. I think it's important to celebrate what the Lord has done. And honestly, in light of, for myself, I don't know about you guys, I had a bit of a crummy week. Anyone else? Just me. Okay, I think, I thought it was like in the air or like the air quality. Um, But I just think maybe it's how busy this time of year is with grads and with proms and graduation parties and all the things that we're doing. But for me, it's been a bit of a crummy week and I have taken a lot of solace in the fact that Paul, too, has had a bit of a crummy two years. So um, I don't want to segue too fast into the message, but I'm gonna. So who's ready? I love that. I need that all morning. Okay, perfect. Yes, this is good. I love this. Okay, so luckily, Paul gets it. So turn to Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 19. We're going to really settle in in those four verses there this morning. We're going to hear a prayer from the Apostle Paul in the midst of his crummy situation where he has been since we started this series in Ephesians. As we know, Paul is in prison in Rome. He is under house arrest. It's Ephesians 1 verse 15 for anybody wondering. You can scroll there, turn there. He's under house arrest, but that doesn't mean that he's got that little beeper cuff that he has to charge. That means that he is chained in his house that he's had to rent on the fly to a guard he doesn't know. But because he's a Roman citizen, he's still allowed to have visitors, which I think was really great, but all the while, well, you're chained to this guy that you don't know, which I feel like would be very uncomfortable. (laughs) But we know Paul, he's hosting prayer meetings and being a good old Apostle Paul. So the chains in these times were not seen as restraints necessarily, but it's important to know that they were seen as torture, to chafe and to tear your skin And because Paul was a Roman citizen, he does get food rations. We love that for him. That's great. However, he has to rely on people outside of his home to bring them to him. And that sounds, honestly, like not knowing when it's going to come. I think that sounds very anxiety-producing. I wouldn't love that, knowing, like, are my groceries going to come today? Will they have kept kept it cold, kept it hot? I'm not sure what's going on. I wouldn't like to know that. Um, But I think it's beautiful that... While he was there, that the church started this like ancient meal train, you know, to deliver what he needed to sustain him during this time because they knew he was still ministering even within the walls of his own home. By analyzing these prison epistles, we're going to learn more about Paul's trials and his courageous spirit during this two year confinement period. He had three years in Caesarea and two years in Rome. You might ask, how could he be so courageous? How could he care for others at this time and pray for them? Did he not question God once in all of that time, in five years? In the last five years, I've questioned God, and I have not been incarcerated. It's obvious that the apostle's status as a prisoner was a constant reminder of the sacrifices that sometimes are necessary in the Christian life. Paul views his troubles 
in the most positive light possible. They were like an advanced party, preparing the way for the success of the gospel. And because Paul's mind was so steeped in the things of God, his view of these trials shifted to be through the lens of the cross. As I was reading, I was very encouraged by the community that surrounded him. But I was also challenged by the community that he created along the way to support him in those times. To think that for two years, the church had to care for him so intentionally, I think it should challenge our willingness to serve each other. When we make a meal train, it's five meals for the business days of the week, right? And I'll be honest, this year, I went and I just picked up a frozen lasagna because you don't want to eat my cooking, you don't. But, but how do we serve each other? So let's look at verse 15. Paul is again praying, giving thanks for these people in Ephesus. And it says, if you could pull up verse 15, that'd be great. You don't have them. That's fine. You, so you really need your Bibles today. Uh, it says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The testimony of the ministry of their church has spread so widely that it's made its way all the way from Ephesus, Turkey, to Rome, Italy. And I think that's a pretty good testimony of faith, hey? And here he is writing them this prayer that says he's continuously praying over them as a citywide church in Ephesus because he's just so thrown by their love for others and their love for the gospel. I long for God's name to be great like that in Corona. Yes. Right? Yes. Let's pray together as we open this morning. Father God, I... I'm just clay this morning, and you are the almighty potter. Lord, it was apparent to me this week that these words were yours, not mine, God. And they were for me and for these people of your church, and I ask that you would bless them and keep them and make your face shine upon them, that you would be gracious to them, that you would give them today, Father, a revelation of who you are, your glory that you would open their, heart, their hearts, the eyes of their heart, God, to see you, to experience you, and to know you in a deeper, deeper way. In your name we pray, amen. Last week, Pastor Call led us through the verses previous to these discussing the discovery and the realities of our adoption by God into his family and what that truly means for us as believers. There are family privileges we're now privy to as his kids. God promises a life of abundance to all of his children and that his resurrection power is within us. Today, we're going to discuss the application of that adoption in our lives and modern context of life here in Corona in 2023, which honestly is easier than ever with this passage. Are you ready? It's good. Okay, so I'm going to read it to you. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. That is full. That is a lot of big words. We're going to tear it apart, okay? So Paul is praying for the disciples of Jesus living across the Mediterranean Sea from his place chained to Mr. Guard Bob. I don't know, okay? He is praying with so much heart and so much expectation of God because of his faith in him. What amazes me and challenges me as we read these verses is that this passionate and rich prayer is coming from where? From a point of suffering. He's incarcerated five years, we said, and it's likely that he spent 25% of his time as a missionary in prison. Paul was not living his best life, okay? He was not going to the gym and starting his fitness business. He was not writing a book. Well, I guess he eventually wrote a book. That was Jesus. Jesus did that. But he wasn't getting married and starting a family and having the cutest but definitely most original gender reveal party. He wasn't getting a big raise soon. He actually wasn't paid for this at all. He was not writing this letter at a big, fancy mahogany desk with a lantern lit and a really long feather stylus, okay? He was in jail encouraging others. We're not in jail. Are we encouraging others? I'm jumping ahead of myself. He was waiting, guys. He was waiting while chained to somebody he didn't know, although I'm sure he got to know them really, really quick. But while he was waiting, he was praying. While we are waiting, are we praying like that? Are we praying with thankfulness for our brothers and sisters and the works of faith that God's doing through them? Are we praying for God's people to know him deeply and personally, continually? Are we praying for confidence in the call of the gospel in our lives? Are we praying for the immeasurable greatness of his power to be shown in our lives? I'm going to be real. I wasn't until I read this passage this week. Okay, I was not, and I am now. But honestly, like praying for big things can be scary, right? Not because I don't believe that God will do them, I do. It's because I know he's gonna go to town doing it, right? And sometimes, I don't know, when God spoke, the world came into motion, right? Like his his voice is big, he is big. His glory is huge. And when I pray, it's just what Pastor Cole said. We're praying to God, sitting on the throne. When I pray for patience, sometimes the little child in me is afraid that maybe I'm just asking for a really long line at the grocery store. Honestly, (laughs) um, maybe I'm asking for a speeding ticket that I should not have gotten, um, but did definitely deserve. Maybe my dinner burns when I only have 10 minutes to eat anyways. Maybe, and this did happen, somebody gets sick on me in nursery. Like, maybe that's what I'm praying for, but it's not. 
I'm praying that God would increase the boundaries of my heart. In all seriousness, though, like when, when do we stop praying for the big stuff? One step further is when did we stop praying for the big stuff during the seasons of waiting, the seasons of feeling trapped or not having what you need or the seasons of same old, same old? When did we stop praying for the big stuff? And did we ever start? Have you ever prayed those big prayers? And you might be sitting there like, okay, Zoe, but Paul was Paul. Like, I'm not Paul. Okay, good for you. But you're not Paul. I will confirm that for you. However, maybe you haven't experienced the Lord the way he has yet. Maybe you haven't known him that way. Have you, ask yourself, have you prayed that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation for his knowledge of who he is? Have you prayed that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you would know what is the hope that he called you to? Have you prayed? Have you prayed big prayers to know the riches of his inheritance? That's you. You're the inheritance. Paul's been through the ringer. And some of us have to. I, I know some of your stories, we have to. But don't forget that the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it was in Paul before he spoke it over them. And I want to ask you, what are you speaking over yourself? It shows that Paul prayed those big prayers over himself as well. He asked God to open the eyes of his heart to know him better, to know his power. So in response, I'm going to pray a big prayer over us this morning, myself included. In a moment, I'm going to have you bow your heads, and I'm going to pray those very verses over you. If you long to walk in the confidence of the gospel and to see and have revelations of God, to receive these words deeply in your heart this morning. Hear them. Hear his heart for you. God wants to know you. So let's get to know him better, okay? Bow your heads. Oh, living God. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to know you. Grant us a spirit of revelation. Pull back the curtain and enlighten our minds. In knowing you, we want to know and live the hope of your calling. We want to know and live the riches of your glory, of your adoption of us. And we want to know and live in the incredible power that you have for us, God. Go before us. Reveal yourself to us this morning. Oh, Father. In your name we pray, amen. I'm dangerously close to emptying this bottle. I just want you all to know. Okay, verse 17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So you can know him better. Not so you can be a better person. 
not so you can sin less, not so you can bring even more people to God, not to be the best parent, what have you. You need to know him. That's all he wants. Personally, deeply, intimately, and honestly, know him. I was sent an interesting video this week, and I'm not sure who by, but I imagine that they're in this room and that they'll remind me after the service. In this short clip, this man was sharing about a very usual but kind of unusual way that he and his wife have their date night. They bring a snack, and they go to the park across the street just to escape the kiddos. And, oh, was it Elizabeth? It was Elizabeth. There it is. I see the laughter. There it is. That's the danger of having a pastor friend, hey? They go to the park, and they are escaping the kiddos, and they go across the street. And they just sit on a bench and have their snack in each other's company. Complete silence sometimes, just chatting. The other man then pipes up and he asks, why is that so romantic with our partner, but not with God? When was the last time we chatted with God? We're Christian enough to bring the, oh no, we're going to the ER prayers to him, but we're not giving him the, God, I miss spending time with you. I need to cry with you. God wants us to know him. And newsflash, you can always know more about God. There is no end to that. You can have a PhD and need to know more about God. Okay, just this week, Zach found out that I used to enjoy going to the driving range as a kid and teen and had my own clubs and everything. I had like a little frog stuffy that went over my driver. I loved it. Don't ask me now about golf. I enjoy the modern invention of air conditioning way too much. I do not go. However, I did enjoy it. There is never going to be enough that I can learn about my husband and vice versa. And that's a human connection. There is so much more that we can learn about God. It is the richest and deepest relationship we can hope to have. Let's move to verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Another version says this. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. They have been called to hope. We have been called to hope. Paul's prayer is directly relevant and easily appropriated to now, okay? When it was first written, it reveals both a conviction about the importance of prayer and the commitment to fellow believers. But because we know that scripture is written by God for the edification of his people throughout time, and I can reasonably assume that if you're sitting here consistently on Sundays and not running away when we say hard truths, you are a child of God, then guess what? As somebody adopted into his family, you are called to live a life of hope. This confidence, this forward thinking of the kingdom of God is your calling. I find quite often that, and maybe I talk about it a lot more because I'm talking with high school students so much and they're figuring out their, their walk in life and where they're going next, but 
often we talk about our calling as believers in a bit of a limited way. Like you might assume that I felt called by God to go to Bible school or I felt called by God to be a pastor or I felt called by God to accept this role at Parkway Church. And I'm not saying that I wasn't because I was. God's hand was in each and every one of those journeys, orchestrating my steps, and suddenly I found myself in the greatest church I've ever known. I know, right, come. (laughs) But let's be clear, okay? A calling is not a career or a profession. If you've been wondering what your calling is lately, we're gonna cut to the chase, and this is scripture, this isn't me. Our calling is to the hope that we have in Christ because of the gospel. The blood of Jesus that has saved us from ever dreaming of seeing the gates of hell in our lives because we hold the victory because he dwells in us. So church, we are called to hope that our lives embody the confidence and the hope that we have in Christ. Hope in scripture is the absolute certainty of a believer's victory in God, that God wins He wins, and we have won because we are in him. Our culture offers no basis for hope. Meaninglessness, we know. Hope, we don't. Death haunts all of us. For all of its advantages, our society is frayed and has problems so enormous that we've given up on solving them. Crime and poverty racism and terrorism, human stupidity, and various other isms threaten to undo us, and here is the danger. Our loss of hope in the present is based on our loss of hope for the future. I'm gonna say that again. Our loss of hope in the present is based on our loss of hope for the future. If you are not living in this hopefulness now, are your eyes set on the hope you have in eternity? the ushering in of the kingdom of God. We've all been taught from an early age that we'll all live happily ever after. And we pursue this illusion because we're steeped in the world as well. We don't live separately very often. And while life and God's creation are good and are to be enjoyed, we must always remember the truth that there are no happy endings, at least in this life, on this side of heaven for us. Death is not the end for us. We can look forward to a happy ending of life with God forever in heaven. Amen? Hope is a life-changing experience. God has built a bridge from no hope to hope in his creation of life in the midst of death. Hope is a life changing experience. Jesus is a life-changing person. God has called us to be among his future people, to rejoice with him in the heavenly realms. Hope changes everything and becomes the basis from which we live now, and it affects the future. God's power brings life from death, a power available both now so that we can deal with the death in which we live and for the future when the dead are raised and we are called to live with him. The future has already been set in motion by God's resurrection of Christ. And as Christians, we live from that future. 
the future that God has established for us. This requires a change in our worldview, though. And worldview gets hard because rubber meets the road. It requires a change, a change from meaninglessness to awareness that God's new age has begun and hope is given to us. This hope is abundant. An abundance of hope is completely countercultural in this day and age, right? As we are called to live in this hope, to abide closely with Jesus and allow it to overflow, we are thus called to let others see and experience the abundant life that Jesus provides us. Do we let people see that abundant life? Do you? Especially those who don't know him. And that abundant life that you are living and embracing is encouraging to other believers whose eyes have been not set on the future of eternity with our Lord. Jesus walked so closely with his Father because he was God. The hope that he had in him kept him close to God no matter where he went. He was spending time ministering to those who were marked by secularism with the money lenders, tax collectors, prostitutes. I am not convinced that we walk that close to the sun, S-O-N, that we would not be scorched by the heat of the battle for souls in this world. Are you living in the hope that God has called you to? Are you loving the lost with the overflow of intimacy that you have received from the Father? Or are Bible devotions just too long and boring for you? Are you not prioritizing your time with the Father? A proper relationship with God should lead to a proper relationship with Christians, right? And so a proper relationship with God should lead to a proper relationship with the world. If there is no future, there is no gospel. Don't forget that the story's not finished. The resurrection of the saints to be with the Lord at long last is the chapter that we're waiting for with great anticipation. Are you excited for it? But if we have no hope for that, for that future, then we are not exercising our hope in the gospel that saves us. It is the blood of Jesus alone that cleansed us and will reunite us with him. If we do not have hope in the future, then you are proving literally that you do not have hope in the gospel. Well, that was a happy note. Great. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul points here to the tremendous glory that is present when God inherits the people that he set apart for himself. It is the Father's inheritance that Paul refers to, not that of believers. It's God's inheritance. We're waiting for him, yeah, but he's longing for us. He aches for our souls. Saints are, are us. If you have accepted that call to be adopted into the family, you are a saint. Saints are those set apart by God 
to God. At the time of the resurrection of believers, God will inherit those who he has purchased at a great price according to the riches of his grace. The revelation of who God really is and the enjoyment of him will finally take place when God inherits his own people. His glory will then be made manifest. I mean, we're talking about some big-time power, okay? When all of the saints are gathered together at long last and are worshiping their God and King, can you imagine the power in that throne room of heaven? Sometimes when I'm standing here on this very carpet, I catch a glimpse, a glimpse of heaven, worshiping Jesus' face bright. But my word, that glory is going to blow our brains, honestly. That's amazing. We must know what we already have in Christ, but also what awaits us in the great beyond. That is the future we have hoped for and from. He is doing something marvelous. He has done something marvelous by sending us his son. And guys, it's not finished yet. We are waiting We live in between the times of the beginning of the resurrection and its end. But we as the saints, even in our crummy times, we know the patience that comes from faith. Our early church father, Tertullian, put it, faith is patience with the lamp lit. Our faith is seeing just just a step ahead. We come to verse 19. that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. His immeasurable power for us who believe, it's for us. I think the word for is important there. It's for us like a gift, but it's also for us. I'm for you, right? The power is set aside for those with the mark of God on their lives. Those who have been adopted into the family and have the hope of heaven in them. There is no power that can rival my God. Because in him the fullness of God lives. Christians do not have to look elsewhere to find what they need for life. What we need is Christ This power, however, is not power in the abstract. It is relational power, a bond that is not broken. Power that is known because of being bound to the one in whom power resides. The power we have as believers, it's not intrinsic. It's not something we have in and of ourselves. But instead, it's a power that comes from God. Defined by the resurrection of Jesus and his exaltation as Lord over every other power. Both now and in the future. Looking elsewhere for power or confidence or hope is is what the world does, and it's what so many of us do within these walls, I'm sure. There's a strange temptation that prevails to mix faith in Christ with some other ingredient. Maybe it's works or a second blessing or the love of money or astrology, what have you. These are just a few options I could mention. 
The devil knows you. The enemy, the one who will never win, pulls you from him. But Christ is sufficient, and nothing else is needed. Hear me when I say this. To attempt to add to Christ is to take away from him. Addition to God is subtraction. Whatever you are adding to fill the hole in your life only muddies the water and dilutes your attention from his glory. Because you have not fully dedicated to God and just dived into that relationship, it's just not going to fit. And I hate to break it to you, but God is the only thing. God is it. Speaking to the, the saints in the room, you know who you are. This power does not remove us from persecution or danger or difficulty or death. It doesn't. But it makes us more than conquerors in all things. This is not a power to work magic or escape difficulty, but a power to live in an evil world. This power is for godly living, not godless living. So the question remains is how? If you are lonely, if you are prideful, if you have a sense of being too small for the task, these things have a very difficult time surviving when a person has a sense of being involved with other Christians in the body of Christ. Paul, in our opening verses, felt a deep attachment to Christians everywhere, and so should we. Although we should be involved with non-Christians, the focus of this text is on the depth of sharing with other believers that comes from belonging in Christ. Being a part of Christ means being a part of others in Christ and working with them on behalf of God's kingdom. Knowledge of the faith and love of others should lead to thanksgiving. We benefit when they succeed. I benefit when you succeed because God's kingdom is benefiting. We need to celebrate the believers around us. We are one with those in Christ and share life in Christ with them. And that's why I call you guys family all the time. There is a heavenly blood that flows through us. It's all because of the blood of our Savior that was shed for us to become his children, to be adopted into his family, to know him deeply and personally to love and celebrate his children around us, our family far and wide, every color of the world, to have hope in this hopeless world, to have hope now and the future, to know his power in light of our powerlessness, to ultimately become his inheritance when we meet with him again in glory. We are living the gospel. We carry it with us. We are the gospel on legs. I'm going to call up the worship team. Here at Parkway, we often talk about the supernatural playing out in very natural ways, as it should. That ref responding to God's moving in our hearts with a physical action can actually affect change within our own hearts. So today, because this text calls us to commune with him, it said, get to know him better. We're going to recall what Jesus did when he shed his blood on the cross by taking communion together as a family. That that blood is what gives us hope.
that that blood is what seals us into his family for what is to come. If you don't have the elements of bread and juice with you, just simply raise your hand and the ushers would be more than happy to bring it to you. And if you've not found hope in Jesus that we've been talking about this morning and you feel affected by these words from God's big book, then please come speak to me or Pastor Call after the service. We would love to pray for you. Or come to Next Steps, which is held in that room to my right after the service. We would be so thrilled to increase the size of our family this morning. I want to speak this prayer passage over you. I'm going to say once more, but it might be more than that because of the way I am. But keeping in mind all the while that this act of remembrance of the blood shed so that we can call ourselves children of God, heirs to the throne, is an act of obedience. It's an act of affirming your kinship with God. To eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood. If you have the mark of God on you, let's, let's walk in remembrance this morning. Just bow your heads. I'm going to pray this over you and then lead us through. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that you might know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, be opened, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You can gather your elements. And we're going to remember the intimate act of the blood shed for our souls. Mark 26, 26, if you're following along. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and broke it gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body let's eat together then he took the cup and he gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for so many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom, even in his communion, he's waiting for us. Let's drink together. Scripture goes on to share that the disciples then sang a hymn with Jesus, which just sounds like the most amazing experience of my life. I would love to do that. But they continued out onto the Mount of Olives. 
So we're going to continue in worship this morning. I'm going to have you stand, and we're going to rejoice in what the Lord has done, sealing us for his kingdom, marking us as his children, signing on to receive us as his inheritance, and to place his power as available for all. Let's stand and celebrate together. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.